On October 21st, 2013, the first same-sex couples were married in the state of New Jersey. On that day included a marriage by Orville Bell and Joseph Panacetti by then Mayor of Newark, Cory Booker. Almost six years later, on October 12, 2019, I attended my first same-sex wedding of Rashad Davis and Fatim Sherrill. Not only was I struck by the love coming from the New Jersey Performing Arts Center that day, but even more so how their family and friends seemed to lift them up and vow to support them and ensure that they made it. This is different from the norm because same-sex marriage in the African-American community, even though it is getting more acceptable, still lags behind that of whites and Hispanics. So in this episode, we will check in with the couple to see how they are doing, how they have grown as a couple and as African-American men navigating marriage together and apart. With that note, let's start the show. On October 12th, 2019, I actually attended a same-sex couple, um, black males that got married, and it was truly uh, a monumental day. You know, it was my first same-sex wedding that I had attended, and so it was a privilege to attend, and it, not because Mayor Ros Baraka was the officiant, but one thing that really struck me uh, when I attended was the fact that when the vows were finished and the two men that are going to be on the show tonight embraced, uh, everyone stood up and gave a standing ovation, which was very powerful and symbolic. And I can't wait to ask uh, the couple tonight what they thought about that event. And, you know, oddly enough, when I found out they were getting married, I knew these gentlemen in different <laughs> situations. One lived, lives in North Carolina, one lived in uh, New Jersey. And so when I got the invitation, I was like, wow, I know both of these gentlemen. Uh, and before that, I actually, you know, oddly enough, um, they asked me to kind of strengthen their, you know, relationship before they got married by doing a couple of, um, you know, sessions with them. And so it's truly great that they're here tonight. They're actually celebrating as of tomorrow, their one year anniversary. So we're going to talk about that as well as um, just their journey. Katim and Rashad, love to bring you up. Hey, hey how's it going? How you guys doing? Good, good, good. Tomorrow is your anniversary, so happy anniversary. Thank, thank, you, you, thank, thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I wondered if we would make it a year, but <laughs> but we did. <laughs> At least till tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, we'll, we'll actually talk about that. You know, so like I you know talked about earlier, just I was just so moved, you know, by the standing ovation. But you know, before we get to the wedding, go back to when you met. What would you say were things or things that just kind of connected? the two of you to each other? You know, I would say Kati was one of the, not, I can't say only people, but when we first met, it was like, I had already known him. He didn't seem as much of a, as a stranger. And I really liked him. Like I, it was, there was no explanation or anything like that. And um, I mean, we just, and we also, we just got along. Um, I think that, that the ease, the ease of it for me. Yeah. I would just add that, um, you know, Rashad has a lot more skeletons in his closet. <laughs> uh, he's actually second guy that I ever, you know, met under the you know context of being gay and and had a relationship with. And so for me, uh, now more than twenty years ago, it was one being just like physically attracted to him, but then two, 
it was something about just how normal he was that just fit into my life in a really nice way. Like, you know, all of these perceptions about what it means to be a man, what it means to be gay, what it means to be black and gay in Atlanta. Yeah, Atlanta. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Rashad kind of defying all those stereotypes in a lot of ways. I just think it made for our, you know, kind of getting together a lot easier yeah now and i'll wait to touch upon that in a minute and have there been kind of situations in your you know in that that have impacted you how you live today uh as being gay and a black man um i'll I'll take a stab at that i think for me you know i was in the closet big time like you know maybe people close to me knew because they would ask and i would tell them but it wasn't necessarily something that i wore like the t-shirt um i damn sure didn't have the tattoo um and so for me it was being able to like talk about the relationship be in a relationship with friends and family in a very public way um that was just different for me and it took me a long time i know rashad's could talk about it It took me a long time to come around um but it was like after i ripped the band-aid off it was like what the hell was i waiting for um, because, you know, all the people in my life really care about Rashad. So that's, that's great. So, and how long, how, how long was that until you kind of freed yourself, so to speak? <laughs> so we've been married a year. Uh, and I'll let Rashad tell his side of the story in terms of how that went down. But we've known each other for like 20 years. So this goes back to like 1999, mm-hmm. 2000, when I first got to Atlanta. So we've known each other for a long time, but... I think as a couple, we've probably only been public about our relationship, what would you say, like the last eight, nine years, maybe? Yeah. I, you know, for me, it was, I wasn't completely in the closet. You know, my close friends, and I would say probably my inner circle of friends, and then there was an outer circle that kind of I had not talked to about it. One of them, including, was my father and my younger brother, um, who I was very close to. And so, right, matter of fact, when we got engaged, it was kind of like, okay, now, you know, now it's time for the conversation. And I remember in my head, it was like this big thing. And, um, you know, I was sweating. And so I had already told my mm-hmm. younger brother first, because I'm like, okay, bro, I need you to help me, you know, do, you know, get this for dad, which of course I think he went immediately told my stepmother, because she did seem very shocked from the conversation. But I remember just saying, you know, talking to my dad, and I said, dad, I'm getting married. And he said, Who's the lucky woman? And I said, mm. um, it's not. <laughs> and he said, okay. <laughs> and he said, are you happy? And I said, yes, I think so. And he said, okay. And that was that was it. <laughs> so, and in the moment, I remember afterwards, I got in my car on my way home and I just cried. It was just like you said, the release of it. And it was just like so nonchalant. And it was always like, you know, we love you and we care about you. And that's what is the most important thing, but, you know, I did, I have, you know, I know people that had terrible experiences um, with that. And so that all kind of sticks in the back of your mind and just, mm. you know, f- funny pop culture moment this weekend, we were catching up on some TV and they played the, the office and they played the one where the guy in the office comes out. And I mean, I laughed for hours straight because it was <laughs> literally in my mind, I was like, this is why people don't come out. <laughs> It was right. like it was so on point. I love that TV show. Yeah, and we'll we'll and we'll get back to family in a minute because I do want to touch upon that because I know that's for especially for men, it's probably one of the biggest barriers to come out 
uh, to your family because of the backlash that you you think you may um, ex- experience. So, so you get to that where and and, and so that it is a good question because you coats were kind of in the closet, so to speak, or didn't outwardly show that. And also, since you guys both live in different areas, you know, Katim, you're in New Jersey, Rashad is in North Carolina. But so uh, what made you decide that you wanted to get married and take your relationship to the next level? Well, I don't know if you can see all of my <laughs> husband's gray hairs here, but while I'm like constantly getting younger, he's not getting any younger. <laughs> So, uh, you know, because he's not getting any younger, it just came down to a very different, like, proposition in life. Like, yes, as much as it is about who makes you happy, um, as I've gotten older, like, my questions have been different, right? Like, who makes me feel safe? Like, who makes me feel cared for? Uh, Who do I feel like I can build, like, a future with? And like Rashad, you know, checked all of those boxes for me. And I just remember uh, when we got engaged, if I could tell that story really quick, Keith. Sure, sure. Um, people who know me, if you really know me, you know I have a terrible fear of spiders, like crippling. <laughs> like, I mean, seriously, I would move out of an apartment or a house. If Let me tell you this. When I was a kid, there was a spider in my bedroom. I slept in my mother's room and my mother slept on the couch for like a whole school year. I would, the only reason I would go in that room is to get my clothes and run out. It's just that bad. Mm. Um, And we were hanging out in our favorite city in New Orleans. We were checking out this amazing art exhibit where uh, this artist, B. Mike, had converted an old warehouse into an exhibit hall. And he was like featuring a lot of different artists' uh, work, but it was an old like warehouse. And we were outside, like in the check-in area, and lo and behold, it's B. Mike himself. After seeing this amazing art, we get this sort of unique opportunity to talk directly to the artist, and he's just engaging. We're asking him a whole bunch of questions. He's sharing with this real, just like strong vibe. Uh, to the point, I'm like, dude, when can you come to North? And like in that moment, I happen to like look up because I'm always like <laughs> checking my four watch. corners, my exit. Oh wow, that's that's some fear. Like, the ceiling was like full of spiders and i looked up and i try to keep my cool because you know i'm trying to be like you know i'm, I'm in this conversation I'm talking to yeah, yeah. <laughs> right 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 like, i got this and then the damn spiders started moving <laughs> I, I couldn't take it so i immediately like freak out and run out and only rashad knows like why i'm freaking out and running out and we're standing out in the, the parking lot and I'm still kind of, you know, almost hyperventilating. And Rashad just like instinctively starts wiping off my back, just like reassuring me that there's nothing on me. And I knew in that moment that this is somebody that I want to spend the rest of my life with because, you know, as cliche as it sounds, like I knew he would have my back. That's a great story. Some people have, um, it's always a moment where he, Someone saves your life, and it's like, oh, this is it. <laughs> this is it. And that was one. Of, sounds like one of those moments. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, well, listen. We could put all the rumors to bed. Nobody was pregnant. That's not why we got. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and that so that's a great story, Katina. Well, what what about you, Rashad? What made you feel you that know, this was the the one for you? You know, I I, I spoke about this story uh, on uh, Friday uh, for our anniversary uh, call. And it was actually, it was the death of my grandmother and uh, my mother's mother. 
and we had had the wake and um this was you know the, the day before the service and so it was at the end and you know everybody was leaving and we were like cleaning up and everything and so they you know had to take the body out and you know transport it back to the funeral home so at the end i remember saying i just wanted to make sure that they you know took good care of my grandmother and i wanted to watch them put her body back into the hearse and everything and so somebody called me to do something and then by the time i get back they had already started doing it so i like run to the front like hastily like what's going on and lo and behold like the team was like right there walking behind the the casket and i remember i actually took a picture of it so like i could remember like and again it was the same thing he knew that that was important to me in the moment and if i couldn't be there he was make sure that he was going to be there and in the moment of grieving and all the other stuff it was like those small you know acts of kindness that make you really see and i would say like that's a lot of our basis of our relationship with small acts of kindness yeah it's always in relation, it's always the little things that really make the difference. And mm-hmm. a lot of, t- lot in all relationship, we can tend, can tend to lose sight of that yeah. uh, because the way we portray relationships is all about grand gestures. Right. But exactly. in, in reality, it's really those small little things that may, that keep one couples together and also can separate those kind of pretenders as well. Mm-hmm. So you talked about your families where there was a little bit of, you know, of course, trepidation happened to, to talk about, you know, that you're getting married. So what were some of those initial, I know you talked about Rashad, your dad, but what are some of the other initial comments that you received, you know, when you said, Oh, we're getting married. Um, so, you know, you got to remember that I didn't call myself hiding anything. If anybody would ask me, I felt like I would honestly tell them, but we don't often talk about uncomfortable things in our family dynamic, right? And I think that this was one of those things for my family that maybe they wondered or they, you know, had questions about, but it just never seemed to come up in conversation, right? As close as we are, like we hang out with each other, we talk to each other on a regular, you know, we argue, we fight, we love. So there was plenty of opportunity for the question to come up, but just never did. So they never asked, well, who are you seeing lately? You know, what's going on? Yeah, you know, my mother would try to push her agenda. She's talking okay. about grandkids. Every once in a while, there might be somebody that comes across and she's like, well, what do you think about her? Uh, her. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but but we just it just never came full frontal in terms of an explicit direct conversation. And so when I had the opportunity to tell folks, I went straight no chaser. <laughs> like, just ripped the Band-Aid off. I said, so, hey, what are you doing on October 12th? Um, I don't think I got anything. Well, I'm getting married that day. Hope to see you there. <laughs> wow. Okay. So uh, I don't know if you want to tell the story about what I told my brother. So, uh, you know, with his brother, he basically tells his brother the same thing. Like, he started off, I'm getting married. That's the person I'm marrying, pointing at me. And this is the date that has happened. <laughs> and his brother is trying to, like, all at the same time be happy and not know what just happened all the wow. same time. And he's trying so hard, like with every fiber of his being. And, you know, he, he said, you know, I'm happy for you guys. It like took about a minute, but I could tell that he was like overwhelmed with it. But um, let, me, it, let, me, let me give some more flavor and context to that. So I grew up Muslim. Um, my brother is practicing Muslim. And he's also my big brother at the end of the day. And I think above anything else in this world, he is like the quintessential big brother in terms of 
that's my little brother. No harm is going to come to him while I'm here. And if anybody got a problem with anything that my little brother is doing, then you got to see me first. And so I felt that from him. I felt, you know, old, like the protective big brother kind of stance, but also like the worry in his mind, like, well, what is the rest of the world going to think about this? And how do I need to show up for him differently as his big brother, as the protector? And so we have this background of like me telling my brother this at the same time as my brother's like watching this guy mow my lawn, right? Right, right. And he's like saying to himself like, well, damn, this, this must actually be really cool for two guys. <laughs> it, it, it seems to have some like real benefits to it. So, so uh, you know, I think, you know, on one hand he was, he was worried about what the world would think and just what his role in terms of like being there for me and, you know, just looking out for me. But also he was just very happy that I had someone who was just like shoulder to shoulder with me in this world. That's what we heard from a lot of people, the ones we, you know, we, we finally, you know, shared that people are like, I'm just happy, like you get to be you and to love the person that you love. And that was like so heartfelt because again, you have these ideas of what this experience is going to be like. I mean, I had, even before all this happened, um, I had somebody that I worked with very closely and I thought they were really cool. And so I was like, you know, I was going to come out to them and I told them and, and going from a very deep spiritual conversation, they're like, oh yeah, that's bad. You're gonna die and get AIDS. I was so taken aback and shook at the same time. And I'm not talking about like a surface level relationship. I mean, these are like real conversations. I mean, you did, we did work together per se, but it was somebody that I would count on that I was like, oh yeah, we're like good friends. And that was like the end of it. It was like no other conversation. And you know, and it was in those moments and that's what makes people retreat. And what you had to realize, and this was even the same with, with our marriage because I mean, we did have some people that were not happy with what they're doing and they expressed themselves about it um, before we got married. And, you know, it was it was shocking from some of the places came from. It definitely hurt as well because these were like lifelong relationships we had. But then you realize like you can't depend on other people to make you happy and you being happy might not even make other people happy. So you can't spend your life trying to, you know, wait for other people to be happy because life is too short. It can end at any moment. And so in the midst of this, we were wedding planning and all this and all this stuff is kind of like happening. And we were like, you know what? That hurt, that sucked, but you know what? It's just, it's me, it's just me and you. It's just me and you. And that was our thing, like, you know what? It's us against the world. I'll tell one more quick uh, funny story and then something serious. Uh, so the funny story is I love Rashad's family I've known his family. I've known his family longer than he's known mine. And so I'm not like a unknown figure, right? So when we announced we were getting married, they were like, oh, that guy. Um, and so my sister-in-law, who I love dearly and I know loves me, uh, we were around the house one day and she was like, so I just want to ask you, um, is it too late? Can I just hook you up with some good Christian women? And I turned to her, I said, I said, Robbie, I said, we've already consummated our vows. <laughs> she fell out. <laughs> but, you know, on a more serious note, um, you know, I had members of my religious community who, you know, we were all members of the same religious community, but we were more like family. And they, other side of this, didn't take too kindly to the news, right? They made a point of 
you know, talking to my grandmother, which was the wrong person to say something bad right, about me. Don't too. Play that. Right, right, right. Then they tried to step to my mother, and that's when it went completely don't wrong. Don't play part two. <laughs> um, but, you know, then they came back and sort of shared their views to, with me. But I have to admit, like, by the time that hit me, and it hit me hard, because, you know, it is family and my spirituality is important to me. By then I was surrounded by so much love. Like there was just so many people in our corner, you know, excited for us, excited to finally see like, oh, this is the person that makes you happy and mm -hmm. sort of completes your, you know, your being that I, I mean, it was like a train. You couldn't stop it. Yep. So did that change the fact that you did you stay with that uh, community or did you? end up um, leaving? Um, no, no, I haven't. And, um, you know, quite frankly, I think this part of who I am has also led me on a sort of much deeper sort of spiritual journey mm -hmm. because I've, you know, long sort of held that religion, unfortunately, in a lot of ways has been corrupted by, by men and women, by the people, right? Not necessarily the word per se. Um, and so I, that was just all the more sort of confirmation for me that I needed mm. to find spiritual center. Um, and it didn't exist in a place and with a sort of person in terms of a minister or a pastor per se. Mm, okay. And hopefully you have found that center yeah. uh, still. I mean, but the centers, the spiritual centers in you anyway. So, yeah. right. Um, yeah. So yeah. So let's kind of move on to the actual day itself, since it is tomorrow, a year ago it tomorrow. What do you, what was your, I guess, strongest remembrance of the day? So it's funny because um, these last few days, it just feels like everybody in our life, you know, they've gotten married in October. Uh, we chose the day because I have a really bad long-term, short-term memory. So I needed to build in some like things that would help, um, help me remember. So Rashad's birthday is in the 10th month. That's where October came from. Okay. And my birthday is on the 12th. So 10, 12. And I was like, okay, oh. I can get that. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, okay. <laughs> so Rashad is the planner, but I am uh, the conductor in a lot of ways. You know, give me the plan. And I just want to make sure that the trains are running on time. It hits all its stops. Everybody's having a good time. And so going into the wedding, I was just consumed with like all of the moving parts. Would the flowers be where they needed to be? Do we get the right centerpieces? Did everybody get in? Did somebody greet them? You know, does my grandmother have a seat? Where's my, so I was just worried about so many moving parts, but there were an incredible group of people who helped make our, our wedding just, you know, spectacular. And I've got to name names like Katab Rollins, Natasha Dyer, Robert Austin, the groom Garçon, DJ Cal, right. Melvina, oh man. Rakima. Rakima. Yep. Um, Karen, who is just like my other half. I can't do anything in this world without. Um, uh, the my, staff my very, at NJ Pat. Yeah, my very good friend, Michelle. So there was just like a whole bunch of people who just took a lot of, off our plate so that I could, you know, so that we could sort of think about the day. And I think the most memorable moment for me, and we were just talking about this the other day, was the NJPAC created this moment for us where they put us behind a veil and had all of our guests sort of waiting in this rotunda space, waiting for us to sort of come out. And then they pulled back the curtain and we walked down like a flight of about 20 steps. It felt like the longest staircase of my life, 
but I straight up felt like Barack, <laughs> like Barack and Barack. Right, right. <laughs> the love that we were getting from people in that room when they saw us walking down those stairs, you know, happy, together, in love. Um, yeah, you could pump me full of that like mm-hmm. every day. I can repeat that moment again as well. Quick side note is that when he finally did let go of that, he sat down and wrote his vows in like 15 minutes. And I had been working like 15 weeks on mine. And wow. he literally wrote them as we were getting ready. Because like I yeah. said, loving you is easy. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and like, like I said earlier, the standing ovation really got to me. I don't know if you guys remember that mm-hmm. moment. But if you do, what, what do you think that was signified? Um, it was a lot of relief. <laughs> I mean, our families had a lot of questions going into the wedding, as you could possibly have. I remember my mom asked me, she was like, there's a groom and a, I was like, a groom, mom, two grooms, not a bride and a groom, but two grooms. It was like, just like small understandings. So I think part of it was the nervousness of everybody <laughs> like, okay, this is not going to be as crazy as we thought because we've never been to a same-sex wedding. And I think the other part was that I just felt the genuine happiness that people felt for us. And like you said, that circle of love, that thing was real. Like, I mean, I felt it from the phone calls and the text messages and the checking in and to, you know, people just thought about us in so many different ways to bring stuff and make sure we had stuff that we didn't even think about or ask for. And they did it. And it just meant like so much. And um, it was funny, though, that the day of the wedding, though, I made sure that I arrived first because I did not want Katim's wedding <laughs> to not be what Katim wanted. <laughs> right. I walked in there and he had probably left me out of a lot of stuff because I was Mr. No. And just to see it all come together, everybody working like feverishly to like pull it all together and the details. I mean, it was just like overwhelming. I had that was probably my first crowd was just to, you know, be there in that moment. Yeah, I just think this is just a universal truth about us as humans and, and being in relationships. And Rashad used to talk about this a lot. Like, you know, we sometimes like, you know, chalk it up to people being nosy. They want to know who you with and, and all about them. But like, there is a part of that where people just want to know that you're with somebody who makes you happy. Right. And I think that whole moment in the, in the wedding was just, just like people saying it's about damn time. Right. And just feeling like, wow, like I see the person and when they see my husband, they could see why he would make me so happy. Uh, (laughs) Well, I think people just, they want you to see love and and they Mm -hmm. want to see love amongst people. And if they can see that and it emanates through you, then what's the problem in that? And that that was evident in the uh, the event and, you know, onward, which kind of led me to the work of coaching is that it's not about though just about the wedding, but the marriage itself. Right. So what has been your biggest challenge or in your biggest surprise over this past year? Um, I'm glad you asked that question, Keith, because we often like stop the conversation at the wedding and everybody leaves saying, oh my gosh, it's so perfect. They're so perfect. Love is great. Love, 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 love. <laughs> The biggest challenge for me, and I'm still growing in this area, is just recognizing that relationships are real mm-hmm. and that the people who are in relationships are real and we are perfectly flawed, right? Like, mm-hmm. so we have some parts of ourselves 
that we're happy about, we're proud about, feels good, feels right. But then there's those other things, right, where, you know, uh, the tensions like live and, you know, it, it's just not roses and sunshine every day. I, I don't know. I just had that fairy tale image in my head, like, oh, the person that I'm going to get married to, you know, is going to be the person who every day is my best friend, makes me the happiest. But the truth of the matter is, like, I argue with this guy more than I do with anybody else. And uh, but that doesn't mean that we love each other any less. In fact, that might mean we love each other more. I would say I, I learned about the that relationships are dynamic, um, meaning that they they change in different ways. And I think it was different for us because we got married older in life and we both had our own lives and um, and we, you know, you know, setting our ways about different things. But like even in even in that, it's like you still have to work through the other parts of you that for so long, like nobody ever cared about that part. But now that you're in a relationship with someone and you're trying to have a positive, loving relationship, like that part might need a little polishing up or something mm -hmm. like that. And to be open to what that looks like and feels like. And sometimes it can be difficult. But I think the biggest thing is like putting in the work to be able to see. And then also like knowing that so from this heated discussion, like we learned and then it's like now the relationship is, you know, is at, at a higher place from here and you kind of keep growing from there. So it's never like we get married. It is what it is. I just feel like it's always changing, always learning, always growing and, you know, in a positive space. Yeah. So I had a, I had a friend of mine um, from Atlanta, Leslie Grady, who posted like many months ago. Um, just some reflections from her 43 years of marriage. And I often like go back to that post. I saved it in my journal. I read it every once in a while because it was just like the jewels were dropped. Um, and she quoted Toni Morrison who said, you know, love is divine only and difficult always. <laughs> and it's like, wow, <laughs> like that's deep. That's deep, yeah. <laughs> which they do not tell you on television and all the other stuff is like, again, everything is, is roses and rosé and rainbows. It is not at all. Right. Right. And, and, and also, which is interesting, also being both male, you know, there's alpha, you know, when it's male, female, there's kind of, you know, always that, that the man's the head or whatever until he's not. And, or they're the strong willed thing. But, you know, when it's two men, you know, you, kind of are both the same makeup. So how, how does that work? Um, you know, I know you said the groom and it's groom, groom, meaning you guys are both opinionated, strong will. That's what, kind of what I get from that. So how does that come into play? I'm glad you asked that question because I do think we as a community need to have more conversations about what it means to be a man. What does it mean to be an African-American man in this country and in this context? And then when you talk about our you know, thing, um, what does it mean to be two African-American men who love each other, right? And it's like, there's no school, there's no class for that. There's no- or mentors. Yeah, there was, there was no Saturday special that, that on TV showed how two men share space, right? And how two men who are very strong-willed and have their own sense of independence, you know, create some kind of union where you know, decisions are made. I still struggle with this, Keith. Let's be truthful. Mm. 
through our marriage counselor. <laughs> we had to have two sessions this week. We weren't sure we were going to be celebrating our anniversary. Hell, if this this this, this webinar was going to happen, right? Um, so we 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 are in it, and like every day, I, I ask myself, like I said to myself, all right, Rashad, you don't like this. I do like this. So whose opinion rules out? Like, like who rules? Right. They have to make a decision. And I just think those um, moments are learning lessons. And as Rashad said, like, you know, it, it kind of creates a, a responsibility for us to try to be somewhat of a role model to sort of like that next generation of Black gay love that comes along um, because we don't necessarily, we didn't necessarily have that. Um, but I want to thank Rashad because through a lot of his friendships, we are building that into our like constellation. Um, so, you know, sometimes we pick up the phone and we, we call, we say, how do y'all settle this? Right. <laughs> mm. And to have a community, which is great. And it, yeah. and it's funny that you mentioned that, yeah, as black men, we don't have the role models just in general mm-hmm. of, um, of how to act in certain situations um you know because the most people that are out front um for us represent what black maleness is are celebrities um uh, athletes uh rap hip-hop artists uh, musicians and they don't don't necessarily always show the best best light or their you know their lives are under a microscope but just to be a black male navigating through regular life and that's one of the reasons why i do this show because we are a lot of different aspects and, you know, our stories need to be told. So uh, that's great. So I, you know, I do want to kind of touch upon what you said because you, you guys said you're reaching out to the community and you're kind of act, feel you're acting as role models. So do you guys consider yourselves trail, you know, trailblazers? We are two idiots in love. <laughs> I want to add trailblazer on the back of there. We'll take it. I mean, it was more about just the feeling of what we wanted to do with our union, our feeling of having a family and being brave enough to do it. I, I think is a trailblazer part because mm-hmm. I, you come from a religious family, I come from a religious family, and it's like, you know, it is definitely not gonna be the thing that everybody w- was gonna be happy about. But like I said before, you were like, you just can't, you can't live for other people. And, um, you know, that was some of like some of the mentors I did have. And I had a group of gentlemen. I've always been like, even my, my parents had me when they were older. So I've always hung around older people. And there was a group of, of gentlemen that were kind of my, I would call them my black gay fathers in Atlanta, that I, if I didn't have them, I don't know where I would be today. Because they were literally the ones be like, nope, you can't date him. Mm-mm, nope, can't go to that party. Nope, don't need to go there. And you're like, why, why? And it's like, you, you don't understand. And they're like, we want more for you than you can see in your life right now. Right now, you're just trying to hang out and party, but it was like, it's more, it's bigger than that. And if you want these things later in life, because a lot of times, just the, the way it's set up is that you can make some some of the wrong mistakes and it's just really hard to wrong. And to have somebody there just pr- providing some guardrails for you, as much as sometimes you want to break out of them, but Again, now I look on the backside. I mean, they were totally looking out for my best interest at the time that I didn't even know what my best interest was. And, you know, to to have a community in the same now, like we're saying, the people that surround us and just, you know, give us advice and tell us to keep loving on each other. And uh, my Aunt Elvis always was like, love each other's endosyncrasies. Like, that's her thing. Like, mm. just 
you you have to love that stuff in order to really like have the type of relationship you want because i mean i've seen the relationships in my family and other places where they look perfect on the outside but when you realize when things start happening and you're just blown away and i can always remember is it was it was the same with the wedding i was like well how did the, the wedding was not as important was it was it about the quality of our relationship and so you know that's kind of how i look at this as you know how do we keep that part going yeah and the only thing about the trailblazers we're still figuring so much out oh, gotcha. Um, but if there's anything that we are doing along the way that can be helpful to somebody, then by all means, you know, chalk us up there in the sort of, you know, uh, group of group of trailblazers. But we were intentional about who we invited to the wedding um, in terms of bringing some uh, young gay guys mm-hmm. um, who have not probably ever been to a same sex wedding yep. um, mm-hmm. to be there to see the love that was in the room so that they could be assured that they too could build that same kind of community around them. Um, and I think the other thing, um, when you take the sexuality out of it, this whole idea of marriage is still, you know, something that gets debated, whether or not we should do it in our community. Is it beneficial? We've seen so many unhealthy relationships. So I think in a lot of ways, the fact that we have decided to love so public and not just make this like a thing between us, that's our commitment to trying to, you know, hold out there this sense of possibility for um, particularly young African-American um, gay men out there. Okay, yeah, and that's great. And you may, you guys may not consider yourselves trailblazers, but I just think the way you're living and the honest and openness, I think, make, make you trailblazers because that's the thing. A lot of times it's not the honesty uh, part that's out front. The fact that look, you're being living authentic, your authentic selves is what makes it truly trailblazing, I should say. For those young men or even for anyone that may be listening today, that they're considering marriage for black men, what what should they consider doing uh before they get married? I have a, a couple um I'll call uh down home sayings about these from a couple <laughs> So my, my grandmother, my uh, father's mother, used to always say that you need to marry your best friend because when you get old, nothing works, and all you can do is hold hands and talk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, that was a good, That's and, a good and one. That's a good one. And was like, Grandma, what are you talking about? And you get, you're like, I totally realize. <laughs> like, she just said at a base level, like, you just want to be with somebody that you want to, to uh, have friends. And I have another friend that says, as long as you're crazy and they're crazy together, marries. There was like, when when a hurricane meets a volcano, it's not going to work. It's like you have to be able to like have that balance of each other, of, you know, you know, all the nuances of each other. And it does take time. Um, I know I will. I do feel like a lot of times in our community, like the uh, relationships are pretty quick. You know, you meet. Um, and you think you know, and there's like this sense of lack of love and relationships. And so people kind of latch on sometimes. And and I'm not saying anything that is wrong with that, but I think you still have to give yourself a chance to kind of work through it and to be okay with it if it's like, it just doesn't work because like just being married for the sake of marriage is not fun. Like it's, it, it's not gonna be worth it. So I just be thoughtful and intentional of that part. And lastly, I would just say, have fun. Like, 
you know, find somebody that, that you can have fun with, that you can laugh with, because the one thing, and even like when we first start uh, working with you, Keith, you were like, the one thing we know for sure is that stuff is always going to happen in life, period. And the best part about it is that as long as we have the tools to be able to work through that stuff. And so, you know, that same mantra of being able to, you know, work through it and, and, and figure it out. And a lot of times, I mean, this was probably in the beginning of our relationship. It was like, well, if it's not perfect, perfect, then I'm just going to run away and not do it. And you, and you know, cause of, you know, one small thing here or there, but you realize it's like much deeper than that. And there are going to be things that are just not perfect. Life is not perfect. So, but that doesn't mean that your relationship is not valid. I would add to the list, you know, I, I even thought of, it was kind of like cliche and not necessarily as helpful, but marriage counseling, like premarital counseling, staying in counseling um, after you decide to get married, because like what Shad said, I mean, things come up, you're learning a lot about each other and putting that ring on gives you a different <laughs> introduction to the person you're with. Mm -hmm. uh, and so being able to like talk things through with a designated neutral who can help you not necessarily pick sides, right? Because, you know, I feel like if you've got a marriage counselor and they're telling you you're wrong, another person is right, then maybe they're not the right person, but at least they're helping you kind of understand the other person's point of view in a different way. Um, so marriage counseling, number one. Um, number two, Rashad often tells stories about some of his real estate clients. And I remember there was a couple who had a very interesting relationship. Uh, the wife was a little out there and the husband was like real quiet, reserved, and let the wife do all of the talking, which ended up being a lot of tough talk about stuff. And the, guy, the husband would sit back and say, ladies and gentlemen, and she's all mine. <laughs> and, and I sometimes, I do that with Rashad, right? And I say, you know, like even the things that may annoy me to no end, like I gotta take it all. I can't just have the parts right. of him that I like and want, you know, he, he's all mine, so. That's great. Um, and thank you for that. I know it's not plug for coaching it or my coaching in general, but just coaching how important it is uh, to have and to continue if necessary, or at least have someone that you know you can, that can have be that third party. Because that I think that's always where the biggest challenge, especially our communities, will lie on our, our families and um yeah. And they don't, they only take our side most of them. They're right. not going to uh, kind of show you for your stuff. So I think that's a great a great thing that you guys have and, done. And Keith, I was going to even say here, I was talking to some friends of mine about this because when people hear like counseling, they're like, ooh, it's bad. Like something's bad. And like you said, I like coaching because it's like you literally are like a coach, you know, teaching you tools, uh, working, helping you work through situations. So, because a lot of times, especially in the black community, they're like, you know, oh, you're crazy. You're going to see a psychologist or whatever. And sometimes it's like, we just need to talk or we need somebody to help guide us, you know, kind of what we're going through. And like I, I always say, I'm just blessed to have you in our life as that kind of resource. And, you know, as a couple, I don't think you could probably make a better investment into your relationship. Great. Thank you. And so, and that kind of leads to the kind of last question, which is a little bit more serious well maybe uh depends since covid and or or stuff that's going on in the black communities as as black men you know what is what's on your minds right now yeah um so we just you know celebrated our anniversary and a very good friend of mine 
and now a good friend of ours, uh, Sidney Medina joined us um, just to talk about like, yeah, we're celebrating their love. We see this love for what it really is to men who are openly, you know, expressing the love that they share with each other. Um, so black gay love. At the same time, we quite literally could erase all of the progress that we've made in the community with Supreme Court picks, with who gets elected in the office, whether or not gay marriage will continue to be the law of the land and people can, you know, legally kind of follow in our footsteps and have the same rights as any other two people who say they love each other um, would have. And so it's interesting because we see like the police shootings and the countless names, Rihanna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, you name them. Sometimes I struggle with like, so where does my justice in, in the fullness of who I am fit in that? Or do when, when I step out there as an advocate for my community, am I only talking about, you know, uh, white supremacy and the racism that exists in our policing? Or am I allowed to say, hey guys, you know, my rights as an African-American gay man are on the line too. And, you know, we need to talk about that as well. Um, and so we see, you know, a lot of injustice in the world. Um, it's, 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 it's unfortunate that there's still a jockeying of what part of you can be front and center and be the thing that everybody cares about. Um, and, 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 and when I make the decision to not put my full issues on the, on the table. Um, so it's, it's a crazy sort of psychosis in the head in terms of what you got to filter through in terms of fighting for your rights. Is that a tough thing to have to kind of pick and choose when when the issue or what right you want to put out front? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you hear me talking like confidently now about who I am, but there's still days when somebody might see me out that I don't know very well and they see my ring and they say, oh, you're white. And rather than correct them, you know, in my head, it's like, oh boy, I got to get into this whole thing. They didn't know I was gay. Now I got to tell them I'm right. Now I got to know that my husband's a husband. Mm -hmm. And the times in which I choose to like go there and not, Right. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's about sort of my own sort of psychological safety sometimes. Right. Like, I don't feel like dealing with it. I got enough going on already. But then it's like you're saying, it's like having to choose parts of me to fight for, um, which, you know, can't possibly be fair. And I, and I would even to to to, bet, to um, go off of that as well is that also even between us, because we've had those situations where like, oh, that person didn't know. Um, that we were together per se, like I hadn't told them and looking at the other one, like you didn't tell them, but it is in these moments, it was like, it was deeper than that. It wasn't like I was embarrassed or any other things, but it, you do kind of like to have to create these boxes. Cause again, sometimes it is really tough to fit in all the boxes at once. Like, especially in the middle of business, we both own our own businesses. Um, you know, there's just dynamics in those that you're like, I just don't know. And I just, even people I work with, I just don't talk about it. I've never not said anything, but I just don't think it's always in the best interest to be there because again, from experience, you see how this can come, could, could go left. But it was interesting. I have some, some clients that I happened just to, I don't even know how, the, what the conversation was and they asked me about it and they told them and they were so upset with me to end up coming to one of our uh, parties we had in Charlotte and they just love and support us and come to find out the uh brother the husband's sister 
and her wife had just got married the year before in Vegas, and they loved them and all that good stuff. And again, we just had never talked about this, had kind of been working together for a while. So it did open up in that way and like deepened our relationship. And it was the same thing. We told them like, I just didn't know. And they were like, I understand. They were like, I totally, I talked to my sister. Like, I know how, how this can work. And so you do have that dynamic, even, um, you know, in a couple about who says what and who knows what. I think he just comes with the territory. And of course, that in, you have to be cognizant of that. But the fact that there are people in your lives that, that allow you to live authentically and lovingly is the testament of what makes us special. So, Katim, Rashad, I do want to thank you guys uh, for being on the show uh, today. And I hope you guys have a wonderful one-year anniversary uh, and many more. What a wonderful testimony given by this couple, Rashad and Katim. One thing that was refreshing was their willingness to understand their need for ongoing coaching as a way to affirm and strengthen their marriage. If you are a couple in need of marital or premarital coaching, you can contact me at info at keithdent.com. Black Men Speak was written and produced by me, Keith Dent, and edited by Grace Chung. If you enjoyed this show, check out previous episodes, share, or become a regular subscriber to the Black Men Speak podcast. We will end tonight's show, as well as all other shows, with a quote of the week. And this one comes from Bob Marley. The greatness of a man is not how much wealth he acquires, but in his integrity and his ability to affect those around him positively. This is Keith Dent from Black Men Speak. Peace.